You're listening to the Sports by Fright podcast. Today's episode is a brand new format. I'm bringing back Fantasy Fridays. I used to do them about 12, 18 months ago. Was going to try and do a YouTube video with this one as well, but there's a reason this time of year is called the silly season. Going to touch on a few articles that I've been writing. I wrote the AFL Fantasy Cash Cows watch list for 2020, the fantasy rookies that you need to keep your eye on, so make sure you check that out. I'm going to be, once again, doing the deck of DT contributions for the boys at Dream Team Talk, the AFL Fantasy Traders, so make sure you see them. I think my first one early next week is Nick Nat coming up, who I'm going to discuss on today's episode as well. Did the NFL Fantasy Awards, which will again be discussed on this episode. Going to try, hopefully by the end of the night, if not very early tomorrow morning, and do my NFL playoff power rankings before the first weekend of playoff action gets underway in the NFL. The wildcard round is nearly upon us, and then over the weekend I'm going to do the best sporting moments from 2019. Usually I'm pretty on the ball with that, but slipped a little bit, so it's coming out a little bit later than usual. G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Coming at you on a Friday evening, happy new year. Hopefully you had a great break and starting to get back into the swing of normal things after the silly season. And as it winds down today, launching a brand new pod. As I said, I'm doing Fantasy Fridays. Now, I did used to write an article for these, but these weekly podcasts are mainly going to cover AFL, NFL and NBA fantasy stuff, my three favourite sports, but as the year will progress, obviously with the NFL season coming to an end, some of those things are going to die down a bit, but there's plenty to talk about from an AFL and NBA perspective as well. Going to start with some AFL fantasy stuff today. As I said at the lead-off, I released my watch list for which cash cows you need to keep your eye on in 2020. The AFL season isn't too far away. We've only got a, probably a couple of weeks before the uh, actual site is up and running and we can start selecting our teams. And then preseason games are just around the corner as well. So I'm not going to go through all the players on this list. I'll chuck the link in the podcast description or you can find it at sportsbyfry.com. But I just want to skim over who I think are going to be some of the most important fantasy rooks this year. Starting right at the top of the order, Matt Rowell, again, much like Sam Walsh last year, comes at 270 grand, and there's a lot of people divided over whether he's worth paying top dollar for. Second straight season, though, I did an article on Sam Walsh earlier for the Dream Team boys before he made his debut. I'm doing the same thing with Matty Rowell this year, and I think, again, he's worth coughing up the extra dollars for. In the NAB League Premiership decider, Matty Rowell just clearly dominated the competition. He had 100 176 fantasy points, 44 touches, 8 marks, 9 tackles, a pair of snags. He is unreal. He is the real deal. I do question whether the Gold Coast Suns will be as competitive as they were towards the back end of last year. There were times where they showed flashes, and a lot of these young kids might get pumped in some of these games, which will lead to low scores, but... Real averaged over 120 from his seven Nablee games this year, and I definitely think he's someone that needs to be in your starting team. The same thing could be said for Hayden Young. The Dockers' first pick, coming at pick seven, again, comes with a bit of an inflated price tag, but a lot of people are comparing Hayden Young to Xavier Dersma from a year ago, and there's no reason why Young couldn't push high 70s or even maybe average somewhere near the 80s in his first pro season. I know it's a big ask, but... He averaged 85 across the four under-18 championship games. Averaged pretty close to that from 12 NAB League games as well. And he's widely regarded as the best kick in this year's draft class. And it'll come down a little bit, I think, to how 
Frio structures their back line and losing players like Ed Langdon and Brad Hill you might see someone like Nathan Wilson or Luke Ryan push up and play a bit more of an attacking wing role, similar to what Zach Williams does for the Giants. So if that's the case, Young might be a pillar in defence and get a lot of intercept marks, get a lot of plus sixes. So that's good for his fantasy scoring floor. He'll be one to monitor throughout the preseason, but I think he's got a pretty fantasy-friendly game, and for that reason, he'll probably be in a lot of starting teams come round one. Devin Robertson of the Lions is a very interesting fantasy case heading into this season. Priced at 228 grand, we saw him wait until day two of the draft before he was drafted, and it hurt his ego a bit, but it obviously did wonders for his starting price. And Robertson is an elite inside midfielder. He chalked up, I think, more touches than anyone else in the under-18 championships and looked like a serious ball magnet during WA's win this year. But a lot of questions around his disposal efficiency caused some clubs to pass on him during the draft, but I don't think that's going to be a huge concern from a fantasy perspective. I am a little bit uh, dubious of how he's going to slot into the Lions midfield. There's guys like Lockie Neal, Jared Lyons, Dane Zorko, and while Neal does chalk up a lot of the footy, the other two aren't really serious ball magnets per se, so Robertson could get a ton of inside work, do a lot of the grunt work for the Lions, a lot of handballs, a lot of clearances, which... Obviously, if you've got a handball-happy type of player, isn't fantastic for fantasy perspectives, but I think if Robertson can push his average near like 18 or 20 touches a game, get a couple of tackles, a couple of marks, etc., then he could hover around a high 60s average and maybe even push that further up. So he is shaping up as one of the highest-scoring rookies this season and definitely someone to keep an eye on. The last player that I'm going to talk about and probably the bloke that's going to be the most selected AFL fantasy player to start the year is Marlon Pickett. He is basement price at 170 grand and after starring in last year's grand final, a lot of people are expecting Pickett to have a pretty big 2020. He had 20 touches and 9 tackles in Richmond's VFL Premiership Decider and for that reason, he was luckily enough to hear his name called and earned a gig making his AFL debut in the grand final as I'm sure everyone's aware but... He didn't look like he was out of place on the big stage, had a score of 73, had 22 touches in that, and averaged nearly 70 from his six VFL games that he did play for Richmond, so I expect something similar. He could probably be someone a bit like, well, I, don't, I was going to say Bailey Scott scoring-wise, but he didn't do a hell of a lot last year, but I could see Pickett similar to what I just talked about with Robertson, averaging somewhere in the 70s, so Pickett is obviously going to be picked by a lot of people, and if he's in Richmond's round one team, then there's no reason why he shouldn't be in yours as well. That's all I got from a rookie's perspective. Just want to quickly touch on the R2 position. There's a lot of different strategies around this, and I think most people will be pushing Brody Grundy's name into their R1 slot. And there's different tactics you can go down. Last year, I started with Jared Witts at R2 and probably shouldn't have traded in Gorn after the buys. I should have just stuck with Witts. And there could be plenty of value again this season. It is a tricky one. It obviously does depend a little bit on how much money you want to spend at the position. But again, there's plenty of value there. Two dudes that I really like the looks on. Priced both a tick under 70 is Sam Jacobs, obviously going to the Giants. Depending on if he has lead ruck status, which it looks like he will, then he could be a great pick. Sean Darcy is someone to keep your eye on as well. Rory Lobb, a lot of people do like the looks of, but I'm all in on Darcy if, again, he has sole ruck status. Lobb will probably pinch hit a bit through Frio's ruck, and obviously that's not going to turn off a lot of people from starting with Darcy, but... 
Rory Love was recruited, well, they said at the time, to be a key forward. And if Jesse Hogan and Matt Tabernard can't stay on the field and Cam McCarthy keeps stinking it up, it might force Love to be a bit more of a premier threat in front of goal. And for that reason, Darcy might just come in and chalk up a couple of 80s and 90s. So he's one to consider. Tim English is in the strike zone. Very tempting again, but I don't think you can do it. He's priced at 77, but... The dude that I've already talked about, Nick Natanui, he's priced at 63, and career average of 76, there's no reason why he couldn't do that again. In the last, or three of the last four seasons, because he missed all of 2017, but three of the last four seasons that Nick Nat has played, when he's played over 15 games in those seasons, he's averaged over 80. Averaged 86 a couple of times, averaged 88 once in his career as well, so if he's fit and firing and looks really good over the preseason, he's going to tempt a lot of coaches. At this stage, it's way too early to put a uh, write it in pen, but in pencil I've put Sam Jacobs in my R2 slot but I'm sure I'll change my mind naturally like most fantasy coaches about 15 times this preseason. I'm going to be churning more AFL fantasy stuff out throughout the preseason so make sure you check all that out at sportsbyfry.com and of course dreamteamtalk.com but I want to shift my focus now to the NFL. Obviously the NFL regular season is in the books and that means that the NFL fantasy season has come to a close as well. Shout out to all those people who were able to become uh, NFL fantasy champions. I was not one such player losing all three of the sports by Fry Leagues. Didn't even make the premiership decider so kudos to the people who won those. I'll definitely be launching a few more throughout next season and again like I said even though it'll be a bit of a lull in relevant news I'll be doing some NFL fantasy stuff over the offseason talking about relevant player moves the rookies again because there's plenty of good looking quarterbacks and Jerry Judy a uh, very talented wide receiver if he lands in the right spot could be great from a fantasy perspective but I'm here to talk about fantasy awards much like I talked about with the AFL fantasy rooks I'm not going to go through all the awards you can check that out at sportsbyfry.com Obviously, in article form, I'll throw the link in the description for this article as well. But I want to go through a few very important uh, awards that I handed out. I've released eight total awards. First one I'm going to discuss is what's called the Diamond in the Rough Award. So basically, this is a player who not only outperformed their average draft position or their ADP, but did really well from a fantasy perspective and probably was a large reason for your success if you had one of these dudes. I had Darren Wallop from the tight, uh, from the Raiders, tight end from the Raiders, and Austin Eckler from the Chargers as uh, nominees, but the winner of this award was none other than Jameis Winston. I'm glad I'm not a Bucks fan because watching him would have just been a roller coaster of emotions throughout the year. He became the first player to throw for 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions, which is probably what he'll be remembered for. But Winston actually had a pretty great fantasy season. On average, he was the 23rd ranked quarterback coming off the boards in ADP during the draft. And he finished the year as the fifth highest scoring QB. So well and truly outperformed his average draft position of 167. Became also the eighth quarterback to ever throw for 5,000 plus yards. So it was, like I said, a roller coaster, the Jameis Winston experience. Seems like the Bucks are going to franchise tag him and bring him back next year. Don't know if they can trust him to give him a long-term deal, but uh, hopefully he's as half as entertaining next season as he was in 2019. The Mid-Season Saviour Award. This goes out to not necessarily the player who scored the most fantasy points in the second half of the year, but... Someone who would have been sitting on the waiver wire that, if you snapped him up, could have definitely made a significant difference to your team. Debo Samuel, the rookie wideout from the 49ers, and Darius Slayton, another wide receiver from the Giants, got nominees. But the winner for this award was Ryan Tannehill, the Titans quarterback who, ever since becoming Tennessee's full-time starter, has turned them into a relevant NFL team. Yes, the Tennessee Titans are 
relevant. In fact, their game, which I'll talk about on a fast five tomorrow against the Patriots, is probably the most interesting matchup in the wildcard round, in my opinion. As Tannehill became the Titans' full-time starter, he led them to six wins in his first seven games, averaging over 22 points throughout the entire stretch. Did fall off in the playoffs as well. He was second in scoring behind Drew Brees over the final month of the season. So maybe you wouldn't have taken the punt on Tannehill. There wouldn't have been a lot of people desperate for a quarterback in the mid part of the year. But if you were someone that maybe started with Cam Newton or maybe Ben Roethlisberger and they got injured and you snapped up Tannehill, then like I said, his success is probably a big reason to your success. The playoff MVP award, this one's pretty straightforward. Who scored the most points in the final month of the fantasy season? Same dude that won it last year, won it again in 2019, or technically 2019 season. Uh, and it goes to Christian McCaffrey. Drew Brees and Kenyon Drake actually earned the other nominees. But again, over the final four weeks of the season, no player scored more than CMC. In a lot of fantasy leagues, the commissioners will push the playoffs to start at week 13 and finish in week 16 to avoid any players who might be rested in the final week, like half of Baltimore's offense, for example. And even if you did that and you changed and your playoffs were in those weeks, CMC still scored more points than any other player in that month-long period. So shout out to Christian McCaffrey. He's uh, struggling to uh, keep the Panthers relevant, but from a fantasy perspective, he was one of the best this season. The Least Valuable Player Award. This label's pretty straightforward. And for the second consecutive year, a Pittsburgh Steeler wins this one. Could have nearly been two Pittsburgh Steelers running backs back-to-back, but uh, Juju Smith-Schuster gets the nod. Did have a little bit to do with injuries, and obviously his quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, going down early in the year didn't help, but Pittsburgh's offense was terrible, and as a result, Smith-Schuster struggled in 2019. He was, on average, the 15th highest player drafted, and throughout the year, he played 12 games, but he only posted one score over 20, and he only caught three touchdowns on the year. So I expect him to bounce back with a healthy Big Ben, and I don't think you should be too scared off drafting him next year, but that was definitely a kick in the guts for those people that took the punt on him. Finally, the most valuable player award, the fantasy MVP. Last season, it went to Patrick Mahomes after his catastrophic jump in production, and this year it went to another young quarterback in Lamar Jackson. Christian McCaffrey and Michael Thomas both earned honorable mentions, but Jackson was clearly unbelievable this year. He posted 415 fantasy points from PPR scoring, leaving him just 14 passing yards shy of the all-time single-season fantasy points record from a quarterback. Take Say that 10 times real fast. Uh, Jackson was also the first player in NFL history to throw for 3,000 yards and rush for 1,000 yards, and that dual-threat ability made him obviously a league-changing type of player and the clear deserving winner of this year's MVP in my eyes. There isn't a lot else to touch on from an NFL fantasy perspective, so let's switch up and focus on some basketball. The NBA is in full swing, nearly at the mid-season mark of the NBA season, so fantasy leagues are clearly up and running now, and I'm going to touch on a few relevant things that have uh, eventuated over the last few days. First thing I want to talk about is the Houston Rockets. Obviously, we know Harden and we know Westbrook are going to dominate from a fantasy perspective, but it's pretty tricky to try and peg down which of the other wing and guard type of players are going to do well on any given night for Houston. Guys like Austin Rivers, Daniel House, Ben McLemore, PJ Tucker, Eric Gordon, now that he's back healthy, they're all a little bit of a mess in Houston's system. And again, you can see one of them go for 20 points and hit five threes one night, and then they might only have four total shots the next. So PJ Tucker, I put in a little bit of a different group from these other guys, mainly because he plays a bit more of a big type of role, a small big, if that makes sense, and uh, stretches the floor. I think he leads the NBA, or if not, is right up there 
for corner threes made. So PJ Tucker, I think, is, uh, again, a little bit of a cut above these other guys. But if you own a few of them, if maybe you have Daniel House or you have Austin Rivers for in a really deep league, um, it's not a stupid idea to take a punt on a couple of rockets. If you get more bites at the cherry, for example, if one of them goes off, then you can benefit from their results. If I had to rank these four dudes, House, Gordon, McLemore, and Austin Rivers, again, it's tricky to do because of their night-to-night production fluctuating so much, but I think given how over the past 12 months he's really entrenched a role in the Rockets system, I like Daniel House the most out of all these guys, plays the most minutes on average, Eric Gordon probably poses the best threat from a three-point perspective solely, and if you need help in that category, then I'd probably put him at number one. McLemore and Austin Rivers, um, more depth pieces in my eyes, but again, they're getting hefty minutes, and if someone is out or misses a handful of games here and there, or maybe their production's down slightly, foul trouble, etc., etc., then McLemore and Rivers can pop on any given night too. So if I had to rank them, that's how I would do so. be interesting to see if Houston packages any of those type of guys and makes a move for another defender on the wing. Robert Covington is someone that they've been linked to, and Eric Gordon might move for him, but... Yeah, at this stage, I think if you're after some production from Houston's reserves, then it's probably best to have as many of them as possible. Don't go overboard, obviously, but uh, again, more bites of the cherry means more potential success. Touching on a couple of injuries, first one I want to talk about is Kyrie Irving, who, as the All-Star numbers were released today, is second in voting in the East Front Court, just uh, behind Trey Young, which kind of surprised me, but uh, obviously Kyrie is a super popular player. Not with too many fantasy coaches, though. He hasn't played in quite a while now, ever since injuring himself in November, and there are rumours going around that mentally he's struggling with the injury rehab side of things. He doesn't really want to rush back because there's not a hell of a lot to play for this year with Kevin Durant sidelined. And as it stands right now, there's no timetable on Kyrie's return. So it's a bit of a predicament for Kyrie Irving owners. Maybe you want to look at moving him on if you can get the right deal because there's every chance that he won't come back this season. I don't think it's at the stage where you really need to pull the trigger and be aggressive in that manner. But if the right deal comes across the table, then it's definitely worth considering. Kenny Atkinson, the Brooklyn Nets head coach, assured us that he's not having surgery at this stage. And hopefully he keeps missing three-week games at a time, ruled out for this week, etc., etc. So keep your ears glued to the Twitter sphere. Hopefully we get a positive update on Kyrie's status. Another injured all-star caliber point guard in Steph Curry is uh, the next thing I'm going to talk about. Returned to Dub Nation, is back with the team as he continues to rehab from a broken wrist. It's been two months since he suffered that injury, and all along he said that he was planning on coming back three months, or going to be at least re-evaluated three months after the injury, but at this stage, Golden State is 9-27. and If the season ended today, they would have the second worst record in the entire league, so I do wonder if we'll see Steph Curry again. There's not a hell of a lot of point for him coming back and potentially pushing Golden State higher up the tankathon standings, but... Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how Golden State takes this approach. Maybe if they want to be aggressive and look at a D'Angelo Russell trade, then they could do that and slot Curry back into their lineup and push for an eight seed. Again, they are quite a bit back, but uh, it's very competitive out there in the West, so who knows? Anything's possible. I think it's smart to leave Curry on ice, though. Potentially get themselves a top three pick that they might not even use, but could be very handy in trade negotiations as they try to build another championship-caliber roster. Last NBA fantasy note, I'm going to do this every week. I'm going to talk about the hottest ad and the hottest drop at the moment, the move that I think you should make. And uh, if you are listening to this and Karis LeVert 
is on your waiver wire, then you need to immediately stop listening to this recording and add him to your squad. It's announced that Levert's going to make his return from injury on Friday. He's only in 43% of ESPN leagues, so he could still be out there on your waiver wire, even if you play with Yahoo or another different format. So Levert might take a while to get back up and going, but especially like I talked about, if Kyrie stays sidelined for a while, Levert will be a huge source of production for the Nets. So I would go ahead and add him right away if you have space. Dude, who I think you should drop at the moment, it's a bit tricky. I try to look at a guy in more than 50% of teams, and for that reason, I've gone with Rudy Gay. He's a pretty solid veteran, could find himself traded and maybe take on a reduced role for another contender because the Spurs are a team that seem to not really be pushing for a playoff spot. Again, like I said with the Warriors, it's very competitive out west, but Rudy Gay, he made 10 threes in his last four games, but he's not a great contributor contributor, rather, in uh, many aspects other than rebounds. He had eight threes in two of those games, so not exactly a noteworthy sharpshooter. So if you do need to make a roster move and you are a Rudy Gay owner, then I would look at dumping him pretty soon. And that brings a close to the first ever Fantasy Friday. Thanks once again for tuning in. Like I said, next week's one will be up on YouTube, and I'll endeavor to get it out a bit earlier in the morning. Going to do a fast, a Fry's Fast 5 tomorrow, previewing a bit of stuff with the NFL playoffs and talking about the NFL coaching carousel. Going to do my NBA MVP rankings as well, as well as trying to pick this 2.0 version of me uh, all-star team. So make sure you listen to that episode. Again, you can check out the other articles that I've already talked about. The fantasy ones are up now. Going to be doing the NFL playoff rankings pretty soon and then talking about 2019's best sporting moments as well. But otherwise, thank you for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, peace. Peace.